Hello, and welcome back to the Holistic Women's Health Podcast. On today's episode, I have Dr. Nick Bitts. He is a naturopathic physician that specializes in Ayurvedic medicine. He is also a leading voice in the natural product industry and currently serves as Senior VP of Product Development at Neurohacker Collective. His areas of expertise include nootropics, anti-aging medicine, biohacking, herbology, nutrition, and dietary supplements. I would love to get to know you a bit more and hear about how you got into the field of naturopathic medicine and Ayurvedic medicine as well. Yeah, it's it's a long story. I I, I guess it it all started with um, a health malady when I was a child. You know, like any twelve year old little boy, I was super active. Uh, you know, I played all the sports you could imagine. I was very rambunctious, um, and and unfortunately, I fell out of a tree um, when I was 12 years old, and I, I hurt my back, and that I think set in motion my interest in in medicine, in particular natural medicine, because at that time I was going to all the physicians trying to get diagnosed um, and trying to get help because I had back pain, and um, they they couldn't do anything. They said, "Yeah, all your tests are coming back normal. You know, there's really nothing you can do. Take some ibuprofen and." Um, you know, good luck. And, but I, but I was noticing the pain and it was limiting um, my ability just to be young and and to be active. So I started exploring uh, Eastern medicines. I went into a traditional Chinese medicine uh, practitioner, got into acupuncture, um, started getting immediate relief. Um, and, and they were giving me tools that I could bring home um, and, and, I was utilizing to you to heal my body. And so I was, I was totally shifting how I was eating. I was using botanicals. Um, you know, I had a twice weekly, um, acupuncture session. Um, and so for me, that was just, um, an aha moment. Um, I knew I wanted to explore medicine further as a, as a profession, as I, as I got older, um, but it opened the door to alternative medicine, um, because I had experienced that, um, and I saw that it could work. Um, and it was such a different worldview. So I, I, you know, I grew up in Colorado. I always was interested in um, eating organic foods, practicing yoga. Um, you know, I worked in some of the early health food stores in the US, um, wild oats, alfalfas. Um, and so I was, I was very interested in botanicals. And so I, I really wanted to make that my profession. I wanted to get into botanical medicine specifically. Um, and there's not a lot of avenues in the U.S. to really dive into that as a profession. Um, but along the way, I discovered naturopathic medicine. And in particular, I discovered a school called Bastier that's in the Pacific Northwest. It's in Seattle. Um, it's one of the first um, uh, naturopathic schools uh, has been around since the 70s. And so for me, that just made a lot of sense to enter there, learn that type of medicine, which was more holistic. Um, and, you know, along the way, I, I discovered a lot uh, about healing and health. Um, I discovered Ayurvedic medicine. Um, you know, I moved to India for a short stint uh, where I practiced yoga. You know, I did a deep dive into Ayurveda, worked in an Ayurvedic hospital. Um, and so that really became the lens through which I saw the world and through which I practice medicine. And so, um, you know, shortly after I um, finished my medical residency in Vail, Colorado, um, I moved out to Los Angeles to work with a, uh, a nutrition and dietary supplement company. And so that really steered me pretty strongly in the direction of dietary supplements. Um, I was working part-time in, in a clinical practice, but I was really uh, gearing up to become a formulator. Um, so I started formulating a lot of products um, in the dietary supplement space. Um, and so I've been doing that for the last 20 years. Um, that now is really my full-time gig. Uh, I've worked with a lot of companies. Um, I'm presently working with a company called Neurohacker Collective, um, and we focus on brain health products, um, anti-aging products, and we're starting to dabble in the world of digestion as well. Sounds like you've really traveled and explored all different avenues of natural medicine. Did you grow up with that in your family as well, or was that something you found after your injury? I, I, I did not grow up with that. I think my, my parents were pretty conservative, pretty standard. Um, you know, I, I did 
um, eat more organic food than anybody that I knew. I, people thought I was really weird getting organic milk and, you know, trying to seek out, uh, organic meats. Um, but now it's, it's interesting to see that that has become more embraced. It's more mainstream, but I, I think that, yeah, I grew up in a very traditional household, so I don't, I wasn't exposed to it. I think it was only through my health and healing journey that I became exposed to it. Supplements. I know a lot of my passion as well came from working in the supplement store and it really just opens up a lot of doors. You see what everybody's passionate about at the moment. And, and I find formulating super fascinating. Is that a big part of your job at the moment? It is. Yeah. So I I oversee product development here. Um, and, and I, I love creating products, you know, for me, it's, um, it's different than relating to people one-on-one in a clinical setting, um, which is beautiful. Um, you know, it's, it's very intimate, very rewarding when you can change somebody's life. Um, but I've, I, I think working with dietary supplements, creating these products, um, I, I can really impact people on a much broader, um, uh, phase, if you will, you know, I can walk into any health food store. I can walk into any target Costco, um, any, pretty much any, any brick and mortar store, um, globally and see products that I've created. Um, which is always kind of fun. Um, and, and so I, I, I do enjoy impacting people's health in that way. And so more and more, I'm getting into the education part. Um, I feel like there's a disconnect between product and uh, the education, the underlying reasons. Um, and so I'm trying to marry those two together at, at, at the moment. I also find there's a big disconnect between, I see it all the time, on social media and people recommending all sorts of different products. And yeah, so quality is very, very important when it comes to specific products. And and I know you're so knowledgeable, so I would love to pick your brain on the topic of anti-aging, gut health, brain health. And if you could just start off by telling us a bit more about the aging process and how to either anti-age or age gracefully, whatever terms you prefer. Yeah. Aging is a huge topic. You know, it's, um, it's fascinating because there's so much new science. Um, it, it is in my mind, a very new and emerging field. Um, in a lot of ways, I would say the whole category is defined by the hallmarks of aging. Um, and this is an idea that, uh, was put forth, um, in a very strong way in in 2013. And at this time, they had really delineated these nine different reasons um, that we age. And they've identified what are called the nine hallmarks. Um, In 2023 here in the last year, they actually added three more hallmarks. And so now we have these 12 uh, hallmarks of aging that that help to drive the aging process. Um, And so it's nice because that gives scientists something to... um, to, to dig into, to, to study, to explore so that then we can undercut the aging process. And so, uh, you know, what we know right now is just surface level on all of these topics, but we're starting to get into them more and more, you know, dysbiosis, as an example, was just added to the uh, hallmarks of aging. Um, And so that's, you know, an imbalance of the bacteria in the gut Um, inflammation was just added. And so we know that chronic low-grade inflammation can drive the aging process. And so all of these 12 hallmarks are very interrelated. Um, they're, they're not singular. You know, if you have, um, uh, if you push one of the hallmarks, it will impact uh, all of the other 11 hallmarks. Um, and there are some theories that if you can undercut even just one hallmark, that then you can undercut all 12 in total. Um, and so we're trying to figure out how they're all related. And it's it's super interesting. But from my perspective, the hallmarks of aging really just gives us a really strong foundation and a way to talk about the aging process, which is which is really neat. Do you know off the top of your head, all 12, or can you give us an example of some of the other ones? Yeah. So when you look at the, the hallmarks of aging, there's there's essentially three different categories. Um, there, there are a section or a group of hallmarks called primary hallmarks. And these are kind of the initial cause of aging, the kind of the cell damage. Um, and so genomic instability or DNA damage is one. Uh, telomere attrition is another one. That's the shortening of the telomeres. Every time a cell replicates and turns over, it, the telomere, the protective caps on the DNA shorten and shorten and shorten. Um, you can have changes in epigenetics. Um, you can have changes in autophagy. Um, so any of those are known as primary 
Um, and then there's, there's a whole group of hallmarks that are known as secondary. Um, and they're kind of a reaction to that initial insult to the cell. Um, one of these examples would be cellular senescence, um, which we talk a lot about at Neurohacker. Um, it's a fascinating area of, of aging, but essentially if a cell is damaged through DNA damage, telomere shortening, uh, autophagy, et cetera, it can put a cell into the state of senescence, um, which is kind of this dormant state where the cell is no longer replicating, um, but it's sticking around inside the body. And so that creates a lot of problems within tissues. It creates these inflammatory compounds. It decreases the function um, and the functional output of specific tissues. Um, and that really drives the aging process overall. Um, and so um, the last kind of section of hallmarks um, is known as integrative. And these are just kind of what we see in a clinical setting. So it's kind of uh, the manifestation of the other hallmarks. Um, an example would be chronic inflammation, which we talked about, and, and gut dysbiosis. So um, they're all things that, that we've all heard about. Um, but now it's figuring out how each one really works. What's the mechanism driving that? And then how they're interrelated. And, and that's just vastly uh, interesting. It is vastly interesting. I'm just thinking as you're speaking, so many conditions are related to inflammation and gut dysbiosis, like diabetes and endometriosis and all sorts of conditions that would make sense then how that all impacts the aging process. It's just never something that was top of my mind. So it's fascinating how all these conditions can really either age us or yeah, not put us in the in the right direction. In your opinion, is there a difference between vitality, resiliency, longevity, or do you find it's all the same? I, I mean, I think they're all interrelated. Um, you know, I, I think in order to be healthy, you have to have elements of health in all 12 of those buckets. Um, and, and those are expressed in different ways. You know, I, I think... Vitality for me is kind of um, life force. Um, and that is the essence when you get into alternative medicine, Eastern medicine, they're really focused predominantly at increasing some, uh, some a person's life force overall. And so it's all about vitality. And so I think if you can create health on all of those 12 hallmarks, the end result is vitality and resilience and strength and just um, more vis, more, uh, more, more life force, if you will. When you were studying Ayurvedic medicine, was a big part of that aging as well? For sure. Um, so, so Ayurvedic medicine is, um, it's known as really the mother of all medicines. It's, it's, it's the first form of medicine in the world. It's 5,000 years old. So it, it's very deep. It's, it, it's incredibly vast. Um, and there's, there's, in essence, there's, there's eight different kind of roots of Ayurvedic medicine. And one of those roots um, is anti-aging. And so they have a whole area of expertise that deals with the aging process and rejuvenation in general. So it's called Rasayana um, and Rasayana means the path of juice. And so Ayurveda, um, at least from that path perspective, is all about regenerating juice, juiciness, moisture, water, um, in the body. And so, um, you know, when I talk about that, I'll often use the analogy of, um, of a grape, you know, we, as humans, we start out as a grape and eventually we lose our vitality, that juice, that water over time. And at the very end of life, we turn into a raisin. And so Ayurveda from a rejuvenative standpoint is all about injecting that life force, that, that juice back into the body so that it creates vitality, creates longevity, um, and, and just, uh, can improve health overall. And so, um, Ayurveda is enormous, um, and it has enormous potential even still when it comes to aging and health and longevity, you know, there's, um, a lot of traditional use ingredients um, that, that Ayurvedic physicians have used for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um, and I think we're just now rediscovering those nutrients and figuring out how they work in the body and what kind of benefits we can, we can attain from using those ingredients. Um, one of the, I think one of the most fascinating ingredients um, is, is something called shilajit. Um, and shilajit is this substance that oozes out of the Himalayan mountains. Um, it's almost like a charcoal, 
Um, and so it's this uh, combination or amalgam of um, soil nutrients, fulvic acids, plant materials, uh, soil, um, minerals, everything all put together into this really powerful, profound substance. Um, and if you can purify it and then ingest it, um, it can have really special rejuvenative, uh, rejuvenative properties for the body specifically. Um, that's one of my favorite rejuvenatives. But of course, there's a long list from the Ayurvedic perspective, ashwagandha being one of them that, that people can use. I found in the past couple of years, Shilajit has become very, very popular. And I always remember many, many years ago, back in school, one of my teachers talking about fulvic acid and mm -hmm. how it was this amazing product. And, and he was just talking it up so much. He's like, I'm going to have to sell it out of the trunk of my car. Because <laughs> at that point, it was a little bit harder to get. But um, Shilajit is on my list to try. That's one I, I haven't tried yet. I heard the taste isn't that great. So I haven't dove in yet. What's your opinion on it? The, the taste is awful, um, but, but you can put it into a capsule and swallow it so that you don't have to taste it. Um, but it's all about purity. You need to make sure that you get a, a very pure DNA verified material. Um, you know, adulteration is still an issue within the di uh, dietary supplement industry. It's something to be mindful of, but when you're working with really good brands, you can trust that they're sourcing the right materials. Um, so it, uh, try it. Yeah, a little bit goes a long way. Um, there are powerful sources of fulvic acid um, and fulvic acid is an excellent source of minerals. It really binds all of the minerals and it drives it. So in the soil, fulvic acid binds minerals and it drives it into the plant root so that plants can grow. And so in the same way in the body, this fulvic acid has all of these nutrients it penetrates cells and feeds the cells. Um, so they become more vital, more active. They can create more ATP energy in the mitochondria. I find um, a little bit of shilajit on a daily uh, basis can have profound energetic uh, benefits. It's, it's a very felt substance overall. Um, there, there is some good research um, that, that is starting to emerge right now showing its benefits. Um, and one of the areas that's interesting is around um, testosterone production. So if it's impacting the HPA, the, the endocrine hormone system in men, it obviously is doing that in women too. And it's modulating that effect. So it has that adaptogenic effect where if somebody has too little of a hormone, it can boost it up. And if somebody has too much, it can bring it back down to a, a more moderate level. Um, so yeah, Shilaji, incredibly healing substance. Um, you know, it's been written about for thousands of years in the Ayurvedic textbooks. Um, some think it's, it's, it's known as Soma. Soma is like this, it's really like a panacea, a cure-all substance um, that over time we've lost. And people now are thinking that, yeah, it might be Shilaji, which is Soma. And so... Um, anyhow, with that, yeah, definitely seek it out, work with somebody who, who, who sells a, a very high end shilajit and use just a little bit every day. I would also love to get your opinion. I heard many, many years ago that ashwagandha impacts people differently based on their different energies and energetic types. How do you feel about that? Yes. So what makes Ayurveda so unique is that it looks at the energetic properties of everything, um, including the human body. And so the starting point for understanding Ayurveda is understanding yourself and the energetic properties. Um, so everything is made up of these five elements, which are space, air, wind, fire, earth. And depending on how those elements interact in the body specifically, it creates your body type. Um, and the body types are known as dosha, um, and that's a Sanskrit word that essentially means body type in Ayurveda. And there are three, vata, pitta, kapha. Um, so in order to create balance in the body from an Ayurvedic perspective, it's about doing the opposite to, uh, to your body type. So if, for example, you're too cold, you want to do the opposite. You want to do something that's hot. So you want to ingest hot botanicals, hot foods, hot beverages. You know, you want to uh, do things that are warming for the body overall. And so it's always about doing the opposite. And so when you get into foods or you get into botanicals like ashwagandha, 
um, it's important to pay attention to the energetic properties of that substance. Um, ashwagandha um, is unique um, because it's, um, from an energetic standpoint, it's calming, it's warming to the body, and it's very um, oily. Um, and so if somebody has those same properties, they're already too hot. They're maybe already too calm. They maybe have too much moisture. They have too much oil in their skin and their hair. If you're doing ashwagandha, it's going to push you further out of balance. So, um, however, conversely, if you're the opposite of that, you're somebody who needs nourishment, needs grounding, needs more calm, needs more heat. Um, then doing ashwagandha every day is going to help create balance in your body type. And so it would be ideal for you. Um, so from an Ayurvedic perspective, it's critically important to match your foods, your botanicals, your, whatever you're intaking with your body type. And so if you know that you're a Vata body type, as an example, you want to make sure that you're doing things that are anti-Vata. Um, so, so ashwagandha is an incredible botanical. I think in the modern world, most people will benefit by using ashwagandha. Um, because it, it it really helps to balance some of the um, imbalances created by social media and phones and poor diet and you know too much stimulation etc. But just be mindful that you need to marry it up with your body type. And so there's you know when I when I talk and I do talks at some conferences on adaptogenic herbs, I always make sure that I talk about the energy of each botanical. You know, and so ashwagandha is different than, let's say, rhodiola, which is different than shatavari, which is different than ginseng. These adaptogens are critically important for creating health and buffering the effects of stress, but you have to find the one that's suitable for your body type. And so that's really important. I'm about 90% vata. So even when you were talking about the grape. Yeah. And the raisins. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can tell, you know, if I'm not doing all the right things, I will just dry right up like that raisin. And I love that you're mentioning ashwagandha specifically for the calming, warming, oily, which is exactly what I would need as a vata type. So thank you for breaking that down, because I had heard it on a podcast, but they didn't go into this at all. They just said, for one type of person, it'll calm you down. For another person, it'll make your symptoms worse, give you energy. And I was like, oh, interesting. So it just makes sense that you would match everything up with your dosha. Yeah, that that's what's so amazing about Ayurveda. It, it's tried and true. It's been uh, you know used for thousands of years. And it's such a vast science. It, it is a science unto itself. And so there's, there's I mean, superficially, I mean, you can just stay at the top and get benefit, but once you start doing a deep dive in any area, it's, it's just mind blowing because that has been delineated, written, spoken about, taught for centuries. And so, yep. Uh, ashwagandha is incredible for, for Vata body types. There you go. I'm going to have to restock my supplement cupboard. Yep. Uh, I did have a question earlier. You were talking about how dysbiosis and inflammation can impact the aging process as well. So how does our gut and our microbiome impact that aging process? Oh boy, where to even start? You know, again, when you come from an, uh, 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 an alternative medicine or an Eastern medicine standpoint, um, the gut is the foundation of health. Um, you know, one of my mentors up in Seattle, who was an old school naturopathic physician, um, used to say, when in doubt, treat the gut. And so it's been known that the gut is everything when it comes to health. And if you have any imbalance in the gut, it creates imbalance throughout the body and mind. Um, so, it, you know, it, it, the gut is, is, endlessly fascinating. You know, I mean, it is the tube from the mouth all the way to the anus. Um, and it's, um, it's considered outside of the body. It's a tube, but it's an empty tube that's, that's exposed to the external world. Um, and so that, you know, if you lay out the gut in, uh, on the ground, the surface area is just enormous. Um, it's been estimated that it's bigger than a basketball court. And so, enormous surface area, 
has enormous um, potential for for uh, impacting health on all levels. And so when you get into the microbiome, it becomes so fascinating. Um, and this is an area that I'm just now starting to get super passionate about because uh, the, the gut microbiome is, again, pretty new. We don't know a lot, but we know enough to impact health. And we know that the, the gut microbiome um, and the balance of the organisms that live in the gut can really impact aging um, and, and in particular. And so we know that the gut can create this, again, chronic low-grade inflammation that becomes systemic. Um, so these, um, you know, the, the basically the, the gut and the brain are in constant communication at all times. And when the gut is releasing these compounds, they can be released in through the circulation as well as through uh, the, the nervous system. So there's communication from the gut into the brain specifically. And so you can have this whole body systemic inflammatory response that is generated in the gut specifically. Um, and so it, you know, it's, it's important that we find the right balance of organisms that, that live in the gut. Um, and there's no specific, uh, fingerprint or, um, kind of combination that is ideal. It's just important that you optimize your specific microbiome, um, which is very different than mine, but you got to make sure that, that it's within a healthy balance. Um, and so it, again, the microbiome is an endlessly fascinating, fascinating topic. And especially when you relate that to the world of dietary supplements, um, you know, probiotics are the number one category. People are um, very interested in, in impacting their microbiome and improving health through the gut specifically. And so they're consuming probiotics, but what they're consuming isn't always impacting health in the way that they think it's impacting health. Um, you know, I would say 99% of the probiotics that are in the marketplace are based in uh, lactobacillus or bifidobacteria. And these are subpar bacteria, um, and they're really not doing what people think they're doing. Um, in theory, they are, but in reality, they're not. Um, and so even though people have been doing these probiotics for you know decades, uh, they may not be creating um, the right combination of, of uh, bacteria in their gut in the way that they think that they can or should. Yes. Can we talk more about probiotics? And I've also heard you talk on other podcasts about the prebiotics and the postbiotics. So can we dive into that world of all the probiotic prebiotics? Yes. Let's, let's do a deep dive there. Uh, you know, so again, I had mentioned lactobacillus and bifidobacteria. Um, these are considered like kind of standard. You know, you go to any health food store, you get a probiotic, you're going to see that it contains lactobacillus and bifidobacteria. Um, most of what you're getting in pills is dead. These, these organisms, they don't survive very well outside of the gut. Um, and if even if they do, they, they don't arrive alive in the gut. So they're broken down through stomach acid or changes in pH in the small intestine. Um, they're not known to be colonizers, so they don't take up residency in the gut. Um, you know, people think that they're taking this probiotic and the bacteria are moving down to their gut and then that's, they're, they're taking over. That's not actually how these things are working at all. Um, you know, basically what you're consuming is dead bacteria usually. Um, and that's what, how that's working is that's inciting an immune response inside the body. Um, it can be good or bad. You know, if it's good, that, I mean, it can create this systemic effect um, that, that can help um, really just turn on your immune system. It's almost like a cup of coffee for your immune system when you're taking these organisms, but you can overstimulate your immune system by doing these organisms on a daily basis as well. And so you need to be careful. Um, what we're seeing right now emerge in the marketplace are uh, a new type of probiotic. Um, they're known as spore probiotics. Um, and I love spores. That's what I use clinically. That's what I use personally. They're a very different kind of probiotic altogether. Um, they're, they're known as bacillus probiotics. And so you have um, a whole variety of bacillus strains. You have bacillus coagulans, bacillus subtilis, um, and on and on and on. But these bacillus strains are known as soil-borne organisms. And so they're naturally found in the soil. Um, and, and before the introduction of modern farming techniques and food processing and sterilizing techniques, 
we were ingesting these soil-borne organisms on a daily basis. We really co-evolved um, with them and the body craves them. We, we desire them because that's how we've always retrieved them. Um, and we have found that ultimately these organisms have disappeared from the diet. You know, we, we now sterilize foods. We, we grow our foods in, um, in, you know, in, in non-natural circumstances, we do monocropping, cropping. We, we have lost, um, the, the abundance of these organisms in the diet. And so we've shifted our microbiome because we lack that organism, but fortunately, um, because we can use them in dietary supplements, um, people can now get them on a daily basis, which is fantastic. And these organisms are dormant, which is one of their advantages, um, which means that they have this shell, this protective shell that surrounds the organism and they're asleep. So when you ingest them, they're protected. They make it their way down to the small intestine where they're activated. When they lose that shell, they come to life and then they take up residency in the gut. Um, and so these spores really are doing everything that you want probiotics to do. Uh, and in a lot of ways, they're doing what we wanted lactobacillus and bifidobacteria to do, but they aren't doing it. Um, and so they're, they're transient colonizers. They tend to stick around for two to three weeks. Um, they really shift the pH in the gut. They um, secrete compounds that help get rid of the bad guys uh, and make room for the good guys. Um, and they're enormously beneficial. And so I'm a huge fan of that. You don't need to take big doses. Um, often people will uh, do huge doses of probiotics. You know, they'll do 10 billion or 100 billion CFU. Um, it, in this case, it's not necessary. Spores are very effective at small doses, um, almost food-like doses. And so some of the research is at even just 15 million CFU per day, which million with an M. Um, and so they, they have so many advantages over the traditional lacto and bifido uh, probiotics that are on the marketplace. So um, I highly suggest seeking that out when looking for a good probiotic. You were answering all my questions. <laughs> when you started saying probiotics, I did want to ask you about spore-based probiotics. And the other thing as well, I get a lot of questions about, do I get the refrigerated, non-refrigerated probiotics? What's your opinion on that as well? Yeah. So generally speaking, if it's a lactobacillus or a bifidobacteria, it needs to be refrigerated. Um, these things are, are incredibly unstable. Um, and so temperature can impact the integrity of that uh, strain. Um, spores, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, you can actually bake with spores. So you can put them in muffins and bake them at 400 degrees um, and, and they survive. Um, you know, again, as I mentioned, when you ingest them, they can um, survive the stomach acid and, and the low pH that's in the, in the GI tract. Um, so they're incredibly stable. You don't need to uh, refrigerate them. Um, you can just keep them on the shelf at home um, uh, on your desk next and, and consume them whenever you whenever you need them. Is there anything else we can do to support our microbiome as well besides probiotics and spore based biotics? Oh, for sure. I mean, that opens the door to, to prebiotics. Um, you know, prebiotics are another emerging area. Um, in a lot of ways, they might be more important than probiotics. Um, and and uh, some of the research is pointing in that direction. Um, prebiotics, in essence, are food for the bacteria. You know, we know that these, these organisms that are in the gut, they're living, you know, just like you and I, and, and they require food on a daily basis. Um, and so a prebiotic substance is in essence a fiber. Um, and so we, we consume these, these nutrients, these compounds in plants, um, you know, they're critically important. Um, and when they get down to the lower GI tract, the colon, they ferment, um, and they're used as food for these, these microbiota that, that live and reside in the colon. Um, and so prebiotics, um, there's really three types of prebiotics. Um, you know, there's fiber which everybody knows, soluble and insoluble fibers. Um, there's also a new fiber, um, well, new, new for us. Um, it's called the resistant starch. And, and these are very interesting fibers because they bypass the upper GI tract and they arrive uh, intact in, in the large intestine. And so these are things like um, underripe bananas or uh, cooked and cooled potatoes, 
Um, in a lot of ways, oats and lentils have this capacity as well. Um, so resistant starches are really incredible prebiotics, very unique, very under, underutilized, um, but they do feed the microbiota in the colon. And then the third type of prebiotic um, are known as polyphenols. Um, and polyphenols are essentially plant compounds that, um, that you find and they're ubiquitous in the plant world. Um, they are really kind of secondary metabolites, you know, they're found in fruits and vegetables. And, um, you know, if people are eating a rainbow of colors in their diets, what they're eating are these polyphenol pigmented compounds. And so those polyphenol compounds feed the bacteria in the gut. So, um, it's critically important that you're selecting high polyphenol foods in order to feed the bacteria that, that live in the gut. And so that's the whole area of prebiotics. Um, you know, I, when you get into the world of prebiotics, um, it can be as simple as, um, you know, telling people to eat more fiber. Um, you know, we, we, as, as North Americans, we just don't eat enough fiber. Um, the recommendation is about 30 grams per day. And people are consuming on average about 12 to 15 grams per day. Um, and so they're, they're, people just aren't getting enough fiber on a daily basis, um, which impacts the, the, the gut flora for sure. Um, I'm becoming more interested in polyphenols. And so I'm accepting that people aren't going to get their fiber content that they need on a daily basis. Um, and so I would urge uh, your listeners to, to focus on these polyphenol compounds that they can, they can pick up from plants. And so try to eat a rainbow every day, try to eat more plants, try to eat more pigments. Um, and if you eat a rainbow, you're going to feed a variety of bacteria and, you, and, and diversity is king when it comes to the gut. You know, you don't want um, one species or one strain to take over over your gut, you want a lot and you want them all to thrive and to be in balance. And so that's the key. you got to feed a bunch of them. And there seems to be um, a selective um, utilization of nutrients by certain microbes. So we know as an example that um, allergic acid from pomegranate feeds uh, a strain known as acromantia. We know that EGCG from green tea feeds acromantia. We know that flavonoids from blueberries feed acromantia. And so we're right now, the scientists are starting to tease apart what actually feeds certain strains of bacteria. And we're starting to identify that more and more. But when you eat a rainbow, you cover that full spectrum to make sure that you're feeding all or most of the, the good organisms that reside inside the gut. I enjoy doing the GI map test, the functional test, just to see where all the, the good biotics are and the not so good gut bugs. And I find a lot of my clients are low in that acromantia. And so like you said, recommending lots of colors and sometimes I'll recommend a reds powder just so they can get some of those colors as well. If they're eating a, a typical, you know, beige diet just to help get some color. And earlier you were saying there's so much, the gut world is, is so vast and so big. There's so much to know. Is there anything you're really fascinated about at the moment when it comes to gut health? Oh, there's so many exciting things I think that are emerging right now, which, which is, I think so much it's fun. It's, it's such a fun area. I mean, if I could dedicate my time to one area, it would be the microbiome. Um, I, I'm endlessly, uh, fascinated by, um, a, a therapy called fecal microbiota transplants. Um, and, and this is, it's sounds insane, but you can, um, insert somebody else stool and you can either ingest it orally, or you can do a supplement, um, a, a suppository, and you can shift your own microbiota through these transplants. And so the, in the US, the FDA has now approved two different um, products, one that's a pill and one that's a suppository um, that really shifts the microbiome very quickly and very effectively. Um, you know, in rats, we know that if you give an obese um, uh, mouse or rat a, uh, a healthy, uh, slender mouse's uh, microbiome, it will shift that uh, the phenotype of that mouse from an obese 
into a slender mouse. And so it can have profound impacts on health and well-being. So I, I'm I'm interested in that. I think that that is going to become mainstream here in probably the next five years. Um, uh, it, very interesting field. I, I'm interested too in, in the oral microbiome. You know, I actually just went to the dentist this morning. Um, you know, I spent an hour and a half sitting in a chair getting my teeth worked on. So I was thinking about what's happening in my mouth. Um, but you know, we're, we're swallowing bacteria, um, constantly throughout the day, you know, billions and billions. And, um, you know, we know that there are, uh, about 700 different species of bacteria that reside in the mouth. Um, and so if you can create a healthy mouth microflora that has impacts, uh, on the micro, uh, microbiome downstream as well. And so we know that, um, infections in the mouth can impact the heart. Um, and, and, and it can impact the brain. Um, so we're just starting to get into the oral microbiome and its implications on health and what you can and, 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 sh- and, and can't do to, to maintain health, uh, there. I also find those two extremely fascinating. I remember back when I was in school learning about the, the study with the obese rats and the microbiome. I'm pretty sure Brian Johnson, who's very into anti-aging, has done the fecal transplant. Uh, I believe he did it with his younger sons, who I want to say was 17. And uh, yeah, so that would be really cool to see what the future is there. And also back when I was studying oncology, I remember some studies coming out about the connection with root canals and breast cancer. And I thought, wow, the oral microbiome is so fascinating. And going back to Ayurveda as well, one of the first things that I took away right away when we're talking about Ayurveda in school was tongue scraping. And after that class, I went and bought a tongue scraper right away and have been using it ever since. Yeah. From an Ayurvedic perspective, um, why they recommend tongue scraping is to remove AMA which is these, the, this kind of toxic film that forms in the mouth um, and impacts the whole digestive tract. So it's important to do that every on a daily basis every morning um, just to clear the way for the digestive tract, to lighten its load, to make sure that you're absorbing nutrients uh, in the right way. There's so much to know. And I also want to pick your brain since you are an expert in the urban supplement area. Is there anything you're excited about right now? Uh, I know big topics are NMN, mm. resveratrol, quercetin when it comes to anti-aging. What are you excited about at the moment? Yeah, I think two things. Um, I, I, I'm very interested in the field of NAD. Um, you know, NAD is a coenzyme. Um, it's a precursor to ATP energy in the cellular level. Um, and we do know that uh, NAD levels decrease dramatically uh, as we age. So it's thought that roughly by the age of about 60, we've lost about 50% of our NAD, um, which really drives all 12 of those hallmarks, which we discussed previously, um, and, and can be very felt you know, NAD leads to ATP, as I mentioned. So if you don't have enough of that, the cells don't have enough metabolic energy to do what it needs to do. Um, And people just feel sluggish, you know, and that's generally when people start feeling their age. Um, And so there's a lot of really interesting uh, research right now happening around the NAD metabolome. Um, The formation of NAD is very complex. Um, In short, vitamin B3 feeds into this and can help boost NAD levels, but there's a lot of things that feed into these pathways as well. Um, And so we're learning how to boost NAD um, and we're learning what that actually means. What's the outcome when you boost NAD? Can you run faster? Do you sleep better? Um, Does it shift your mood? Um, And so little by little, we're we're uncovering that. Um, And it's interesting when you get into the world of... um, of NAD boosting, you know, you get into the wars of like, what is the best precursor for NAD boosting? Um, And there's a couple ingredients that people are leaning on right now. One is uh, nicotinic riboside, which is NR. Um, Some really good research there just showing that taking NR, which is a B uh, B vitamin derivative, can boost NAD. Um, There's another ingredient called NMN, Um, And NMN um, is, again, just another precursor that feeds into that kind of NAD boosting pathway. 
Um, however, in the U.S., NMN is not allowed to be sold as a dietary supplement. Um, they, that that that's a new change that just that is starting to be enforced right now because the FDA has ruled that NMN is a research molecule because a pharmaceutical industry has taken that molecule and started running clinicals on it. So that excludes it from the world of dietary supplements. Um, and so a lot of these products that had NMN uh, even a year ago are no longer available in the marketplace in the U.S. currently. Um, but in my mind, that's that's fine because you know you can do uh, flushing niacin, uh, which is a B3. You can do non-flushing niacin, known as niacinamide. You can use NR. Um, you know you can feed into that pathway using resveratrol, using caffeine, using magnesium. There are things that can help really increase NAD levels in a very significant way. Um, so NAD, endlessly fascinating. Again, we've only scratched the surface. But I'm I'm watching that field, um, you know, very very uh, intently. Um, we actually at Neurohacker just launched um, an NAD boosting product, which is very different than anything else that's on the market. Much more complex and comprehensive in its approach. Um, we are running human clinicals right now, looking at the amount of NAD boosting that the product provides, as well as outcomes. So we're trying to add science in this area as well. Um, aside from NAD, I, you know, I'm, I'm super passionate right now about senescence, which I, I, I briefly mentioned earlier in the podcast, but cellular senescence is an area that, um, there's a lot of buzz right now. And it's, it's a very interesting field because we now have tools to undercut that whole aging process. And there are tools known as senolytics. Um, these are compounds that help to promote the elimination of these old uh, zombie cells from the body and it helps tissues rejuvenate. So senolytics are, are very interesting. Um, I know that there's a lot of interest from pharmaceutical companies, uh, biotech companies, uh, dietary supplement companies. Everybody's looking at the space, trying to get in it uh, early because it is very early right now. Um, but, but it's neat because there are ingredients that, that people use on a daily basis that have the potential to be senolytic and can help support, uh, rejuvenation, uh, help promote a healthy health span, uh, a long lifespan, um, and such. And so, you know, again, at Neurohacker, we've, we've did a deep dive in this area. We've created a solution, uh, a product called Qualia Senolytic. Um, and again, we've run clinicals on this product, uh, showing that it has outcomes that can improve health, uh, in, in the short term, as well as in the long term. I'm going to have to look into these cause these sound fascinating. And along with the qualia, is there anything lifestyle wise, dietary wise that we can do to help those, the elimination of those zombie cells? Yeah. I mean, again, supplements will only get you to so far, right? They're, they're, they're not the end all and be all. Um, they're, they're just tools. Um, and you know, nothing replaces living well, um, you know, sleeping enough, eating a very clean diet, um, you know, getting movement. Um, all of these things are, are critically important. Um, when it comes to senescence and how you can promote that senolytic activity inside the body, there's a couple of things that, that are beneficial. Um, it seems that exercise first and foremost, um, it helps the body just prime the, the release of these cells. So it's important that we are ex exercising. And again, it's finding that right balance. You don't want to have too much or, or too little. You got to find that middle point. All types of exercise as well. Yeah. Also, I don't think that we've really figured out what exercise would be best. Um, I think moderate amount of any exercise is going to be beneficial to help prime the elimination of these cells. Um, but again, it's, you don't want to go, um, from zero to 60 overnight, you know, you don't want to go out and go running and tax your immune system. Um, the immune system in part is how we get rid of these cells. And so you need to make sure that you're optimizing immune function. So the immune system can go in, pluck these cells from the body and eliminate them. You know, if you go and you run, um, uh, or, or even if you're training for uh, a long, long run, um, you really tax your immune system which is going to, again, impact your ability to get rid of these senescent cells. So I think a moderate dose of any exercise is going to be useful. 
Um, when it comes to the diet, um, a couple things are, 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 are seem to be effective anyways. Um, a low calorie diet is very effective. So we, we often recommend a fasting mimicking diet, um, which isn't a full fast, but you're just eating a low level of calories throughout the day. And again, that helps the body just rejuvenate itself. It pushes autophagy, which is the body's repair mechanism. And again, primes that uh, elimination of those senescent cells. Um, full fasting um, also does that. So highly recommend that. Um, and then again, getting into some of those nutrients that are, that are critically important. You know, you can get fisetin in the diet, you can get quercetin in the diet, uh, you can get turmeric in the curries that you're eating in the diet. There are certain ingredients that you can get through your diet specifically that have a senolytic uh, uh, action. Another question that I wanted to ask you as well is for anyone in their 20s and 30s, what can we do at this age in order to support our gut long term in the future, support our aging, our immune system, brain, whatever it might be, so we can age gracefully? Yeah. I mean, I think if we just focus on the gut, there's a lot that can be done there. Um, tongue scraping, love that idea. That's such a simple suggestion. Um, it does impact the microflora and does impact overall health and vitality. So seemingly very basic, but incredibly important. Um, you know, I'd recommend, you know, going to the farmer's market, going to the places where you, you actually still have dirt on food. Um, that's a good way to get these spore bacteria in your diet again. Um, eating more fermented foods, uh, critically important. Uh, I think that in America, we've, we've, we've lost fermentation as a practice. Um, you know, people really don't eat fermented foods anymore, but, you know, I think introducing sauerkraut or kimchi or different fermented ingredients into your diet can have a profound impact on the, the microbiome overall. Um, you know, I, we've talked about increasing fiber, um, I, I, everybody knows that they need to eat more fiber, generally speaking, but I think even a better recommendation is making sure that you're eating more polyphenols. So, you know, eat a rainbow every day, make sure that you're feeding the good bacteria, uh, with these, uh, polyphenol like compounds, um, you know, getting outside, you know, getting exposure to dirt, getting your hands in, in the dirt, critically important. Um, you know, I think that, there's a lot of products that, that again, are, are very good. I know, um, you know, my, my favorite gut product overall is called Trifala. Um, Trifala is uh, kind of the, the, the end all and be all from an Ayurvedic perspective. Um, it's, it's kind of a panacea. If you work with any Ayurvedic physician, they're going to recommend Trifala. Um, Trifala is two Sanskrit words, tri and fala, which means three fruits. And so it's a blend of three different fruits that balance all body types. So regardless of your body type, you can get benefit using Trifala because it brings balance. Um, and so I like to stack Trifala with a product called Qualia Symbiotic. Um, and Qualia Symbiotic is a product that, that we created at Neurohacker that's a, a, a prebiotic, probiotic, and a postbiotic. Um, kind of in a base of fermented foods. And so in my mind, that's just a really nice combination. You're getting a, a very comprehensive uh, nutrient profile to support and optimize gut health overall. A question that my listeners always love, they just love to dive deeper. Are there any book recommendations that anything you've read that you love on these topics? Yeah. I, you know, when it comes to books, I still love to get into Ayurveda. You know, I, I, um, I, I can just read Ayurvedic books all day long. I wish I could, I wish I could just sit in my, my chair and read more books on Ayurveda. Um, that's where I would recommend starting. Um, I, there's a couple books that I love to recommend. Um, one that for me is just the primer on Ayurveda, a really good uh, introduction to Ayurveda is a book known as Prakriti. Um, Prakriti is a book by Robert Svoboda. It really um, does a deep dive into body types and energetics um, and really, I think, lays out what is Ayurveda very nicely for somebody who may not know. There's also a book called The Yoga of Herbs. So if anybody's interested in understanding herbal energetics, which we talked about, um, Vasant Lad wrote this book and he breaks down 
uh, a lot of the Western herbs that we use and, and consume on a daily basis, as well as a lot of the Ayurvedic herbs and talks about the energetic properties, how they were used traditionally, how they should be used in the modern world. Um, so I really like that just because it's so unique. There's there's really no book that, that gets into the energetic properties of foods and botanicals. Um, and so, yeah, I think those two books are a good starting point for anybody that's interested in Ayurveda. Um, which again, I think spills over into longevity and gut health and all the areas that we touch today. Wonderful. And is there anything that you wanted to touch on any wisdom you want to send everybody off with a quote that you heard recently that's sticking with you? You know, I I'm often asked at the end of podcasts, like, what is the one thing that I would recommend, uh, for anybody that's interested in supporting their health? Um, and you know, I've put a lot of thought in that I had a, a running list for a while and I was, you know, moving things up to number one and then moving it down. And ultimately for me, I, I think medita- meditation and having a meditative practice overall is one of the most beneficial things that, that a person can do. Um, and, and it's important, I think, to plug into a teacher or a lineage, um, and to get a technique that you can use as a meditation tool. Um, too often, I think people try to meditate and they're on their own. You know, they're trying to calm their mind or clear their mind, um, but they don't have a tool that allows them to do that. And so there's no one way to meditate. You know, there are thousands of ways to do it, but I think finding one way that works for you is critically important. Um, and so, you know, plug into different meditation practices and, and find the one that works for you, you know, whether it's a mantra or a body scanning or uh, a mental clearing, you know, there's, there again, so many ways to do it. You can even get into a yoga practice, which is uh, a moving meditation in my mind. Um, I, I, I think that's the best thing that we can do right now to really, um, offset the effects of living in the modern world. So highly recommend that, but it's all about consistency. It's not something you can do for 15 minutes, um, you know, per week. It's something you should try to do daily, ideally uh, a little bit in the morning, a little bit at night. And I think over time, the benefits accrue. Did you, when you were studying in India, did you do any of the meditation retreats? Yeah. So I, I've done, uh, many silent meditation retreats, uh, in a lot of different traditions. Um, but I, I have chose to work with, uh, a tradition known as Vipassana and Vipassana is, um, it's all about body scanning. Uh, again, it's been used for thousands of years. It's a very simple technique, but, um, Vipassana has, um, worldwide centers where they give free 10 day retreats. They feed you, they teach you. Um, and you just, you plug in for 10 days and you meditate, you know, anywhere between 11 and 13 hours per day. Um, so you walk away with a really deep understanding of the technique and the benefits of meditation that then you can carry over into your life on a daily basis. That's wonderful. And I just want to send you lots of gratitude for sharing everything you shared. I know everyone's going to have a lot to take away, as am I. And is there anything else anywhere where we can find you? You said the supplement company is Neurohacker Collective. Anything else you want to share on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm personally not on social media, so I'm, I'm hard to find, but, um, neurohacker.com is, is a really great website to learn more about what we're doing as a company. Um, there's tons of information on the website because we are an education first company. And so we're trying to give people more information that's usable. Um, so we have blog articles, we have monographs on, um, on botanicals. We have, enormous explanations about all of our products. Um, and we have a podcast, uh, called collective insights, um, that you can find there as well. Um, so neurohacker.com, um, we're also found on all the social media platforms as well. Well, between this episode and all the ads that I get on Instagram for Shulajit, I think I might just have to try it and restock on my ashwagandha as well. I'm very fascinated by all the different energies of the herbs and how that can be impacted based on your dosha. And I'm definitely going to look into those two books to widen my knowledge in this area. It's just wildly fascinating. There were so many great tidbits to pick up, lots of 
herbs that were interesting. And there were so many different directions that I wanted to go. I wanted it to be mostly focused on anti-aging. Although when we got talking, there was just so much to uncover about the gut and various topics. So now it's just kind of an all-in-one. If there are any topics you want to know in the future, in the show notes below on Spotify, you can fill out a form and let me know which guests or topics you want to hear next on the podcast. But thank you so much for listening in. If you like this episode, share it with a friend who needs to hear all this great information about the gut and anti-aging. You can also rate and review the podcast if you love it as well. And for more health, wellness, and lifestyle tips, you can come say hi to me on Instagram at Nutrition Moderation or online at nutritionmoderation.com. I truly hope you have an amazing day wherever you are, and I'll chat with you very soon.